Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. Thank you, Hendersons. Thank you, worship team. Uh, before we dive into scripture this morning and uh, talking about uh, one of the names of Jesus, one of the uh, titles uh, he carries uh, for himself. Uh, I want to take a second uh, to say thank you. Uh, as many of you know, last weekend uh, we took our Thanksgiving offering. <clears throat> Everything that came in last weekend, unless it was otherwise strictly designated, uh, goes to helping our partners in Bosnia Herzegovina. Uh, and you guys gave over $4,000 to the work that God is doing uh, in Bosnia, and we are so grateful for that. So thank you for participating. In that, uh, that money is going to go to helping a couple of our partners uh, with their financial security so they can stay on the field and stay present in those relationships that they've been building for so long. Uh, it's gonna go to some humanitarian need, to helping the people of Bosnia-Herzegovina with some very uh, practical needs so that uh, the gospel can be communicated to them and the good news of Jesus that we celebrate today. Uh, and. Uh, some of that is going to go towards planting a church. Uh, some of the people in charge of that were just looking at buildings this week. Uh, so you are participating in all of that, and we're, we're grateful for it. So thank you uh, for, for those of you who gave to that. Uh, I want to start this morning with uh, a philosophical question, if you can get your philosophical brain uh, going uh, on a Sunday morning. Uh, let's start here. When do you feel, the, oh, when do you turn on the clicker? There we go. That's not the philosophical question. More of a self-reflective thing, really. Uh, here, you can self-reflect on this one. When do you feel most human? When do you feel most human? And, and this uh, may depend on whether you view human as being an experience of your senses or of your thoughts, or maybe when you think human, you think of frailty and hurt. So when do you feel the most human? Is it when you are touched or hugged, when you're generous or creative, when you're overthinking, when you're crying, when you're taking a really good deep breath, when you're loved well, when do you feel most human? What, what is your experience of being human? I, I don't know if you've ever taken a second to even think about that, but as you look back on your life, what has added up to your experience of being human? My guess is that it's all the things I just listed and so much more. Now, there seems to be some things that we all share in our humanity. And these are things that no matter our skin color, our abilities, our, our country of origin, our behaviors, things that connect our human experiences to each other, that connect us across our differences because we've all breathed in and out, because we've all been hurt in some way because we've all desired to be loved. And these points of connection are, are things that reveal really an opportunity for us to have empathy and compassion for one another. Because I, I can look at you and say, look, you are different from me in every way. 
You may be different from me in, in what you believe and where you come from. We may be different in every way that the world can see, but you and I have both breathed in and out. We've both been hurt. Now, your hurt and my hurt, very different. But I've experienced hurt and so have you. Things have been challenging for me and they have been for you. I've felt overwhelming joy before and I hope you have too. And, and we can empathize with each other because we have experienced these things. And I think when we recognize these connections, these things that connect our humanity to one another, hopefully, maybe, we don't feel so alone. So let's start there. For those of you who are note takers, you and the not note takers are not alone. You are not alone. Now, uh, this phrase is a little bit funny to me because my brain is a little bit weird, I think. Uh, but this phrase uh, can be uh, taken at least two different ways. Right? It could be very comforting. That's the way I mean it in this case. You are not alone comforting. It could also be very creepy uh, and very threatening, depending on the character of who is with you. But uh, I mean it in, in a comforting way. And as a side note, uh, but I think an important one, I know that the holiday season can feel incredibly lonely. We tend to get fixated on who is not with us more than we are fixated on those who are. And we all know that it is very possible to be surrounded by people, to be in a crowd of people, even people you know well, and feel very alone. Our hurt may drive us to withdraw from people, either physically or just emotionally, drive us to mistrust others. Our, our hurt will often cause us to doubt other people, doubt our place, doubt God. And in a season like this, when everybody else, it seems, is celebrating, those negative feelings can make us feel very alone. So I want you to know, whether you're in this room or watching at home, you are not alone. There are many people in this room, in the group of people that makes up this church who would like to come alongside you and make sure you know you are not alone. We don't do that perfectly. Some days we don't even do it well, but we want to. And this sense of coming alongside others and making sure you know you're not alone is one of the primary functions of any church, or at least one of the primary aspirations. And it is one of the primary messages of Scripture. For example, 2,700 years ago, 2,700 years ago, which is a very long time, a guy named Isaiah looked around at his nation and he felt the heartbreak of God. The people around him, who were the people that God has cl had claimed as, as his people, were hurting each other in a civil war. And they were fighting to get God on their side, and at the same time, they were doubting God's goodness altogether. 
So Isaiah, this prophet of God, has some harsh words for the people uh, and some hopeful ones. For example, I wanna share from Isaiah chapter seven. And because we like hopeful words more than harsh ones, you may recognize the hopeful words in this, maybe not the harsh ones. Isaiah chapter seven, starting in verse 13. Then Isaiah said, listen well, you royal family of David, you people of God. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? Very dramatic. All right, then the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. We are not alone. Words of hope for a lonely and divided people. And I would submit to you words of hope, not just for lonely and divided people 2,700 years ago, but for lonely and divided people in 2022. Words that were fulfilled 700 years later. This is from the book of Matthew, chapter one, verses 22. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. All of this occurred so that the words of Isaiah would be fulfilled. Well, then what occurred? Luke tells the story this way. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius, every year I struggle with that name. You can read it, it's right there. Give it your best shot. Yeah, anyway. He was the governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged. She was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Now, when you hear this passage, you may picture a cartoon boy with his little blankie on a stage. Some of you, okay, Charlie Brown, okay. Some made a connection, all right. I don't know, though, as many cartoons as may come into your mind, I don't know that there is a more human passage of Scripture than this one. We have taxes that have to be paid. We have traveling a long way that is no fun. And then when you get there, somebody canceled the hotel reservation on you and you have no place to stay. And there's a baby, the very, very human experience of giving life and a baby and all of the beauty and grossness that comes with it. A child is born. A human child in a human family in very human circumstances. A child who is God with us. 
this Christmas season in the midst of this familiar story, we're attempting to answer this question. Who is Jesus really? With all of the legend around this story and all the ways that Jesus is misinterpreted by culture and by his followers, who is Jesus really? What child is this? Really? This child, Jesus, would grow up to lead a very human life. We read in Matthew 4 about him being tempted and rejecting it. We read in John 11 about him weeping over his friend's heartbreak. We see him cry out in frustration, in worry, in pain. We see him experience a brutally painful death. We know he loved his mama, that he grew exasperated with his friends, that he cracked jokes, <laughs> that he rested and he slept. He experienced the things that make us all human. As we said last week, Jesus was human like us. In fact, Jesus seemed to be very concerned about making sure that people knew he was human. And he uses this title, this phrase, for himself, to refer to himself, the Son of Man. And he uses it a lot, more than any other title for himself. We see it over 80 times in the four Gospels combined, the four stories of his life that we have in Scripture. And at its most basic, this phrase, Son of Man, Son of Adam, Son of Adam, simply means a human being. He's a member of humanity, like we are sons and daughters of man. We see this phrase uh, often in the Old Testament, uh, most prominently, or I suppose most often, in the story of Ezekiel, the prophet, where God calls Ezekiel a son of man over and over and over. He refers to him as, hey, hey you, son of man, over and over again. As a reminder, hey, you, Ezekiel, you're human, I'm God. Which as somebody who likes to play God in my own life, if not the lives of other people, I understand the need for that reminder. Hey, Ezekiel, you're the person, I'm God, so we're going to do this my way, son of, son of man. What's interesting to me about Jesus using this phrase, and uh, for those of you who may have some experience with this phrase, I promise we will dive into the rabbit hole of how deep this phrase goes and all the reasons that Jesus uses it. But it's interesting to me that Jesus reminded people over and over again of his humanity. And that's interesting to me because with as much as we have going on in the character and history and mission of Jesus, the part of him and all of it that would seem most evident to the people listening to him is his humanity. They can see that he is human. They can touch him. The people closest to him followed him around as he ate and got tired and slept and did these very human things. And yet, before Jesus revealed his greatness, as the Son of Man, he revealed his sameness. Before Jesus revealed his greatness, he revealed his sameness, the ways that he is like us. 
Now, the Son of Man is actually a loaded title, and Jesus communicated so much with it. I want to start here, that as the Son of Man, Jesus is embodied like humanity. He is embodied. He is in human skin and flesh, in a body. He, he is not a phantom or somehow pretending to be like us. Uh, the book of Hebrews puts it this way. This is from Hebrews chapter two. Because God's children are human beings, that would be you and me, made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. And we will talk more about that next week. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. He is embodied like humanity. He experiences all five senses. He gets thirsty and hungry. He has the same desires and pleasures that we do. And when we say he rejected temptation, it's not because he doesn't feel the draw of it. And when we say he suffered, we mean he suffered. We mean that his skin that had all the same nerve endings that ours does was ripped by whips and his muscles torn apart by nails and his lungs desperate for oxygen. He died a very human, painful death. Now he died on a Friday, but the good news is that he rose from the dead on Sunday. And when he rose, his followers and friends did not immediately recognize him. But once they did, what they saw was their savior in a body. He could be touched. He ate with them. And the fact that the risen Jesus is also embodied tells us that our eternity will also be embodied, even if we have no idea what that really means, or at least I don't. What we know is that heaven has walked in our skin and he knows how that feels. And having experienced all that we feel and living perfectly, never giving in to temptation, makes him the perfect example of humanity. He is the perfect example of how humanity is to function. A friend of his named Peter wrote these words that we spent a bunch of time looking at earlier this fall. 1 Peter 2, verse 21. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. We need to know that Jesus felt all the desires and drives that we do, 
Otherwise, him turning away from sin is simply doable because of how different he is from us. And yes, he is different from us, but he is also like us. A child of humanity, just like us. And so in coming and living his life, he demonstrates for us, shows us a new way to be human. His teachings repeatedly flip our expectations upside down of what it really means to be human. He lowers the bar for what qualifies as sin and raises the bar on what qualifies as righteous and holy. And yet he forgives extravagantly and he loves generously and he walks through life humbly. He is the example we follow. Now, we also find this example to be impossible to follow. Last night, as we were talking about this passage, somebody brought up the example of a seven foot plus basketball player saying, dunking is easy. You just reach up and do it. Okay, so for those of us who don't have that ability, what do you, what do you mean it's easy? Like I can't just reach up and do that. And sometimes following Jesus feels the same way. Like Jesus's example is the eight foot guy who can dunk and I'm 4'11 and I'm never gonna be able to do that. For those of you at home, I'm not actually 4'11. That's just, <laughs> not that I'd be, it'd be, it's fine to be 4'11. That's not a bad thing. Never mind, I'm gonna stop. Shovel, yes, thank you. Man. We find this example impossible to follow. The beasts of our temptation, the lies of this world, the lies of our desires and drives are just too much for us some days. Maybe all the days. Which is why we must recognize that the Son of Man is also the promised Savior of humanity. The Son of Man is the promised Savior. Now, for this tie-in to the Son of Man title, we gotta go backwards about 600 years before uh, Jesus to a prophet named Daniel. Uh, so uh, just hold on to your butts, y'all. This is gonna get weird. Um, like end of the world beasts kind of weird, okay? Ready? Weird? All right, here we go. Uh, the prophet Daniel has a vision recorded in Daniel chapter seven. In this vision, uh, four beasts appear. I uh, wanna make sure I get this right. A lion with eagle's wings, a man-eating bear, a leopard with four wings and four heads, and a beast too terrible to describe other than the fact that it has 10 horns. And then some of those 10 horns on his head or face, or I don't even know, disappear, and a little one crops up in their place and starts yapping and bragging and being arrogant about how much better he is than everybody else. I told you this was weird. Okay, I am not going to try to interpret, partly because, or mostly because, I don't think we're supposed to be able to figure out what all of that means. But I do wanna pick up the story there because the hero of the story arrives soon um, and uh, we do know what that means. So this is Daniel chapter seven, starting in verse nine. I watched as thrones were put in place and the ancient one sat down to judge. 
His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire and a river was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session and the books were opened. I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken from them while they were allowed, but they were allowed to live a while longer. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Amen. Now these words also show up in the Christmas story. We actually looked at them last week when an angel shows up to tell Mary that she is going to be the mother of Jesus, the mother of the Savior. And he says in part this, you will conceive and give birth to a son. So here's the Isaiah prophecy coming true, right? Look, the virgin will conceive a child. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, I don't know if Mary, who grew up hearing the Hebrew prophets and stories, I don't know if Mary made this connection to Daniel and his son of man prophecy. He, she certainly uh, could have, but, but the baby in the manger is the son of man Daniel said would come and rule the world. And I am far more confident that the grown-up Jesus fully intended for people to make this connection. He is the promised savior, the one the people have been waiting for since Daniel said it, to come and defeat the beasts of death and evil. One more son of man uh, implication, value to this title as we talk about joy this morning. When we uh, see a new baby or talk about a new baby in our culture. We have this phrase that I don't really understand. We call it a bundle of joy, right? A little, little bundle of joy, which I, I kind of get it. Like as a parent, you're, you're overjoyed. That's great. Unless it's like 2.30 in the morning and then joy is not the emotion at that point in time. But in general, again, I just, I've never actually heard somebody walk up and go, oh, what a cute little bundle of joy. Like maybe you say that and that's awesome. I don't have a problem with that. I just, I just think it's a weird phrase. That's all, that's it. But we talk about it because of the joy that that baby gives to parents and apparently a whole lot more to grandparents because they just hand it back when it's gross. And that's lovely, good for you. But we, we have this, this joy idea and Jesus was Mary's little bundle of joy because he is the son of Mary. Jesus is the joy for all of humanity, available to all of us because he is the son of humanity, because he is the son of man. 
Jesus's friend and follower, John, in his uh, account of Jesus's life, his, his gospel, he begins this account with a poetic introduction in, in which he refers to Jesus as the word of God, essentially saying that he is the breath of God or, or the very essence of God. And, and he, says, uh, he says this in John chapter one, verse 14. So the word, the essence of God, became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John, a different John, testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another, for the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. The Son of Man is the unfailing love and faithfulness of God revealed to humanity. God's unfailing love and faithfulness revealed to humanity, revealed in humanity. So the question is, how far will that unfailing love and faithfulness go to save humanity from itself? You may already know the answer to that. Next week, we're gonna dive into why Jesus is the perfect and only option to reveal that love so clearly. But for this week, let me pray for us. Father God, we come to you with joy because of the way your unfailing love and faithfulness has been revealed to us. And Father, I know, and you know better than me, that we come collectively this morning with a desire for joy, some of us feeling joy, some of us aching, not sure where joy is gonna come from. Father, would you this week remind us that you are with us, that we do not walk through these valleys and mountains alone. Would you remind us that that we're not dependent on everything around us looking pretty and working great to feel joy. That you, you are the reason, your love, your faithfulness, your presence with us, that we can experience joy. Father, would you walk us through the hard things Give us the joy of your presence with us. Thank you for all you have done and all you continue to do 
to reveal your love and faithfulness to us. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.